G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Because there appears to be a growing trend that affects all of us, whether we are the boss, the employer or the employee in our workplace. Companies around the world are increasingly shirking their legal obligations to workers by replacing permanent jobs with contract or temporary work. Now, for most of us, our work is important to us, but it's not always as secure as we would like it to be. In fact, it's increasingly being referred to as precarious And in a situation, a context where uh, there is low wages growth here in Australia, there's growing concerns about Australian workers being disadvantaged as the cost of living continues to rise. Even the RBA governor last week highlighted the stagnation in wages growth as having a major impact on the growth of the entire Australian economy. But as wages grow, who pays the bill? Uh, We can see the tension, so how do we negotiate the workplace as Christians and all of the changes that are happening because of the latest technologies? So today, unpacking some of the issues being faced by Christians at work and the idea of precarious work. Our special guest through this next hour, the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest, who has spent time thinking through these issues in the workplace both for workers and uh, so employers as well, and how a Christian character enhances what happens in the workplace. He's the director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. He's also got his feet firmly on the ground, priest in charge of the Yarraville Anglican Parish in Melbourne. Gordon Priest, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Good to be back. Uh, Gordon, I like talking about work with you, and you have written widely, and uh, you lecture when it comes to uh, issues like we might uh, call workplace theology. Uh, These are important issues because it's really where the rubber hits the road for Christian believers in your local church, isn't it? Certainly, yeah. Um, And and that's, like you said, it's either directly or or indirectly um, via families and and, and that. But um, so when when we're talking about work, we're talking about paid or unpaid work. And it can include voluntary work as as well. And um, so we want to kind of make sure everyone's included in this discussion. Um, But, but, you know, I think we're bouncing off um, some of the implications of of paid work in particular, because as it filters right through um, families and family systems, and uh, and uh, it can affect the whole the, the structures of everyday life. If you don't know um, till quite late what shifts you're on, um, if you uh, it's difficult to make arrangements for childcare, for um, um, yeah, the kind of precarious nature of work is quite anxiety-inducing for for a lot of people. Um, because there's a lack of security, and it's not 
Um, it's not that people necessarily um, want more money. In fact, in, in, in quite a lot of surveys show that people would rather have security and predictability that they can budget on and that they can plan and time things around their families, etc., and their, their relational responsibilities than necessarily get more money. So if you haven't got a great employer who's got some attention to the details and care for the employee, it actually affects families. So while we're talking constantly about how we might nurture and strengthen families, a lot of what happens in our families actually is determined by our employer. And so we want our employers to get things right. Of course, uh, that comes down to an issue of management skill too, doesn't it? Yes, um because there's been a lot of talk um, about flexibility in, in the workplace and the need to be 24/7 in some ways, and you know keep the technology and the machinery going, and 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 all of that. But often the stress on flexibility has been um, the employer's flexibility, and not the employee's flexibility. Now, um, my my father ran a small business, so you know I've got sympathies with with people in business too. So. Um, but it, it needs to, to be a mutual thing. It needs to be worked out um, between employers and employees. And um, But quite often the individual employee can feel like they don't have much power. They And uh, they there's lots of surveys about this as well, that people don't necessarily speak up about uh, their family needs. And particularly um, a lot of men don't do that even though they would like to be able to spend more time with their families in some ways, they're afraid of speaking up because they think it will um, make it look like they're not really fair income about the work. And, um, and, and it, the same thing goes for, for women in lots of ways. Well, a lot of women will, will tend to go for work that's under their qualification level in order to have the, the flexibility for families, um, particularly in the preschool years and that. So I think I you're think touching we're on very enlightened in Australia in terms in terms of this, and um, with very high levels of casualisation, high levels of shift work, and um, I forget the third one in the in the, the trifecta in terms of this, but certainly an inflexibility about work that um, let's say some of the southern some of the northern European countries tend to be more flexible, and that actually has positive flow-on effects uh, for families. And, and even right down to actually lowering things like abortion levels, for instance. Well, that takes us into a whole new dimension, doesn't it? Because not only family affects by way of family function, but also the plan that you might have your for your family through an entire lifetime. And uh, yes, those are significant issues. But just to just to uh, just backtrack a little and reflect here a little more, Gordon. Because sometimes we like to idolise or pedestalise those who are assertive and those who are succeeding in the workplace, succeeding in business, climbing the corporate ladder, doing all those things. But I did like what you were saying, that not everybody in the workplace and men or women are as assertive about how they might demand or expect their rights in the workplace and therefore are more inclined to be pushed around. And 
And as you mentioned that, I'm almost more inclined to say that might even be the majority of workers. How would you, is there any way, I'm sure there's some sort of research there that, uh, that you might have access to, but, but you know, how many of us do you think are that assertive ladder climber, able to assert our rights in the workplace, and how many of us are probably more really on this other side of, we're glad we've got a job, we better not rock the boat? Yeah, I think I think you're right. We're, most of us are probably more on the we're glad we've got the job and better not rock the boat. Um, I think a lot of the models that are presented to us are often very American and they're very much about, well, you've just got to lean in. Um, that was the, um, I think the one of the key people in Microsoft, she might have been 2IC, I think, or um, um, Facebook, actually, um, and the, the, it was all about leaning in, but then she tragically lost her lost her husband, and um, and we haven't heard as much about that sort of lean in kind of thing since then, uh, because just uh, leaning in and just putting everything into the workplace, and as if you can have it all, and sometimes these kind of models are presented for us. Um, people who have it all, I, I can remember a. a it was someone who was actually a, a, a radio announcer um, like you, but um, and this person was had a, had an article written about them. It was a woman, and she had done very very well in many ways. And this article talked about her home life, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and um, how she was able to juggle all these different things. And then, um, but then I met uh, her nanny. And the article didn't mention anything about the fact that she had basically a full-time nanny who was working for pretty low pay, um, doing everything that, that kept the whole show afloat. And I think that's uh, increasingly the case, that we have these kind of superman or superwoman kind of models presented to us and, and others who are just uh, really getting by or actually doing the jobs and the caring and that for these people at the at the top, they're really forgotten about, and um, and and because their situations are fairly insecure, that's why they're not willing to speak up. It's not well, just a personality issue. There may be some of that, but it's because it's an objective kind of issue that they realise if they speak up too much, they'll be branded as. Yeah, troublemakers. Gordon, I'm so glad we're having this conversation now because we're not hearing too much about industrial relations policies that are going to be presented by different sides of the political equation in the lead-up to an election. So uh, so we can talk today and not be politicised so much as what we can do as bringing a Christian worldview, a biblical idea to bear on what we ought to be expecting in the workplace if we are an employee or if we are an employer. Uh, sometimes political ideologies get in the way here, don't they? Because depending on where you might stand, this idea of precarious work, uh, well, for some, that's like, oh, this is <laughs> this is the best thing that could happen because I don't have to have as much responsibility to my employees. Uh, the other side, of course, is opposite. And so there is a certain sense here in which we can take a little bit of above-the-ground view of what's going on if we look th at these things through a Christian lens. Is that the way you think of these things? Yes, like there's, there's a great um, 
tradition of Christian thought in relationship to this. One, one of them is, uh, is what's called Catholic social thinking. We, we, we often tend to think mainly about Catholic sort of sexual and bioethical thinking, but there's another whole stream that um, talks about... It, they, they talk about the kind of mediating institutions and, and work that allows people to have decent hours so they can spend time with their families that um, that uh, allows people to actually or to organize unions for instance um, the, the, the beginnings of the Catholic social tradition was around the time of the industrial revolution and there were some pretty extreme conditions at that time you know children chimney sweeps and things like that who were losing their lives and so um, and there were also, there were also um, a lot of evangelicals who were sticking up for the rights of, of those people so there's um, a whole stream of, of thinking that says um, it's not just about the isolated individual and just uh, their individual freedom, like a finger cut off from a hand. And that, that tends to be the kind of what's called the neoliberal model, or some used to call it economic rationalism, and that um, things will, um, if, if those companies, etc., can can be very free and pay little tax then the riches will trickle down to the people down at the bottom. Now, I think there's been a pretty strong rebellion against that in, in recent times. Um, the other extreme tends to just emphasise the big state. It's a bit like a closed fist in some ways and just has a, a, a strong emphasis on sort of centralising things. What gets missed out in the middle of that is a range of, sort of supporting institutions for individuals and, and families. So like businesses, I think particularly small businesses, as they're the ones that are the main em employers. There's unions, there are schools, there are um, neighbourhood organisations. There's a wide range of those sorts of organisations that help support people in their everyday lives. And I think... Um, that's one of the key areas where churches can, can support people and uh, work out how do we have more fair and just kind of arrangements and that, um, yeah, allow people, um, workers' rights to be um, not unlimited but to be reflected and that they have a more even kind of bargaining chance um, by being combined with others in their relationships with their employers. Um, not in a militant sense, but in, in a way where um, there's genuine negotiation that takes place. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, I think we're in those one of those very important conversations today because things are changing in the workplace and that affects you and it affects me. It affects everyone, whether you're an employee or an employer. We're talking about what is called precarious work today and trying to get a, a place or an understanding of what we might understand as Christian believers and based on godly wisdom about how we negotiate the changes that are going on. Our special guest is the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest, and uh, Gordon leads Ethos, that's the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society, and with some wonderful scholarly articles on all sorts of things that are going on with change in our world today. Let's talk about change for a few moments here, Gordon, because the economy is changing. Sometimes we talk about the gig economy. 
And the way that employee-employer relationships are changing, uh, we need to have a handle on that if we're negotiating the way forward. What are your thoughts on the changing economy? Well, I think, um, like these things, there's always a kind of the, the, the boom view that just says, oh, technology is wonderful and, and isn't this going to be fantastic and, um, you know, we'll, we'll have robots to do all the work and, and, uh, and we'll be able to kind of, you know, relax on the beach or whatever. Um, and then there's the, the, the gloom view that it's, that it's all terrible and it's going to be catastrophic. Um, I always uh, come back to the for whom view, you know, who, who benefits from this and who loses from this and uh, I think it's it's important to think a, a, about that so if we think of the, the gig economy I think there are people who, who can benefit from it and if we think of say students or younger people who have flexibility and you know they might have a push bike or a, or a motorbike or something or a, or, a, or a car and they can get around they can be an uber driver they can um, work for Deliveroo or something like that, one of those kind of companies. They can do, do some of those forms of work. But it's, it's hardly the kind of work that you can necessarily do over a lifetime or that you can build a family on because it's, it's often quite unpredictable. A lot of the costs are borne by the worker, including things like insurance, and um, you don't have sick leave, and often or, or holiday leave, and so all the risk often falls on the worker. So the, the gig economy is regarded as well releasing entrepreneurial energies and you know enabling people to to take risks and to be able to you know earn extra money, etc. But very often the risk falls back on the individual. It's not a public risk; it's individual risk. And uh, that can um, be very difficult. And that, um, just to give one particular illustration, the, the idea of some people talked about the precariat. So as opposed to the old days of, say, the working class proletariat, um, the workers in factories, etc., that there now is sort of uh, precarious work, which, which covers a whole range of different people. I think it's, it's worse for the people down, down at the bottom, but... It can, it can affect academics, for instance. So there was a, a terribly sad story that um, an, an author I met told me about at a conference on the gig economy. And this was someone who had lectured for about 20 years in philosophy. And now we would think, you know, being an academic is, you know, that's, that's being on clover, etc. But increasingly people are just on short-term contracts. And when there was a dip in the number of international students, this person lost the two classes that they used to have each semester and um, they went up in the Blue Mountains of Sydney and they suicided and the person I was talking to wrote an article about this and it, um, for the Sydney Morning Herald and it went viral because so many people connected with that and um, so it sort of affects a, a wide range of, of, of people um, it doesn't necessarily follow the traditional kind of class divisions and I think we, we really need to um, recognise too that not everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur. You know, we're, we're in Australia and we tend to be a bit less, um, like you were saying before, we're, we're a bit shyer about putting, putting ourselves forward, um, unlike a, a, a lot of Americans. You know, they're raised to be entrepreneurs from the year dot and uh, Australians are a bit more shy about that. 
Well, it certainly brings things into context, doesn't it, when we say this affects everyone at different uh, stratas of the working economy because it's not just low-skilled workers, and as you say, it's uh, university lecturers uh, who are also at risk here. But if we were categorising what sort of people are undergoing change right now, Gordon, uh, people who even have part-time employment or... Uh, those ones, as you mentioned, in the gig economy, the Uber driver or the Deliveroo rider, uh, they are typically, as I understand it, self-employed. But that's a different sort of self-employment, and I know that there's been some uh, legal cases on their behalf to try and, uh, uh, you know, work out some workers' rights there because these things are now uh, in a state of flux. They're changing. Uh, Then there's there's fixed-term work, uh, temporary work, on-call work. People who are home-based workers. Uh, and uh, then there's that other issue, telecommuting. Uh, so there's all sorts of different terminologies that are given to it, but all of those might come under the category of what is precarious work. And if you fit one of those categories, uh, this is the sort of thing where you might be interested to just understand how all that works. Because ignorance here is a significant issue, isn't it, Gordon? Because if we're not aware of what's changing in our environment, we're just going to be swept along. But if we are aware, then we might be able to flag some opportunities for actually getting ourselves a bit better established. What are your thoughts about, you know, taking an ignorant stance or actually understanding what's going on? Oh, look, I think it's essential to try and understand what's going on. Um, the, the difficulty is that um, p- predicting which parts of the economy are going to take off and, and that is um, is somewhat fraught, you know, so we, we don't want to get into a sort of um, like Soviet Union five-year plans, where they'd always they'd always fudge the figures at the end of the five years. But nonetheless, I think um, there is quite a lot of good um, data and advice out there. And um, particularly if we think of of things like the issue of robotisation and artificial intelligence, um, in the end, uh, the people who have, if you like, good soft skills not just kind of, say manual labour type skills, but good soft and relational uh, skills. Those people who have the um, not just um, rigid kind of uh, repetitive type skills, but the skills that have an element of creativity to them, they're the ones who are likely to have uh, better prospects job-wise. And because a lot of this comes back to education and, and really... Um, not necessarily teaching people with too much of a specific vocational um, focus too early, but really teaching people learning skills, how to be lifelong learners, how to be adaptable, and um, how to relate well, and how to be a creative thinker, and to try and um, educate yourself in, in those ways. Now, the issue then becomes um, how do we do that through a wide range of educational kind of institutions, not just, let's say, private schools, but um, the public schools, Christian schools, etc., so that they can also be um, really working at, at, at equipping people to be um, lifelong learners and adaptable, have a sense of relative security about themselves and confidence to be able to express themselves and to try and be creative. And, um, and I, I think they're the sorts of things that families need to, to look at 
are doing, you know, encourage the children to speak up around the dinner table. Um, in, in, um, we, we just said that our, our grandchild, who um, we have on every Friday, he, um, he, he comes in and, you know, we, we say hello and we give him a hug, etc. and he goes straight for his, his, um, his sort of box full of Lego. And, um, and he just, he's just fantastic with it. And we were thrilled. He's only three, but we, we heard that his um, uh, childcare teacher had said how good he is at it, and all the other kids think he's great. At it. <laughs> he's got a little bit of celebrity with this, but uh, but we've thought, yeah, um, he doesn't get it from our family. Actually, I think he gets it from his, his, his father. But um, Gordon, we but, encourage this creativity. And uh, right from those earliest ages, as you say, and we're only just a minute or so out from news, so maybe a quick thought here because we want to get into seeing our work through a faith lens as a Christian believer. And while these sorts of uh, practical skills that we learn in church life and because we're exposed to the Bible, uh, these things are very important to see work the way God sees work. What are your thoughts just quickly? Mm. I think we were created to be creators. We were created in God's image and uh, we were created to... Uh, develop the world and uh, be like kings and queens over creation and to that's what the term dominion means um, and but we're meant to do that in a servant-like kind of way and uh, and and a way that you know looks after the garden we're, we're guardians of the garden as as well in Genesis 2:15. so um, and that's a form of worship as well. So we could take up some of those things up. We will after the after news. The news. Uh, yeah, powerful points just in those few words you've mentioned there. Dr. Gordon Priest is our guest. Uh, we started talking about that just before the news. Uh, you said as Christians we're guardians of what happens in the workplace. Uh, that's a big responsibility on our shoulders, but this is a responsibility given by God. What are your thoughts on a little bit further on being a guardian of, of workplace culture? Well, I think... Um yeah, that that context then was kind of agriculture, um, which is related to culture and cultivate um, as as terms. And I think we need to think about how do we, if you like, cultivate good relationships at our work, um, relationships that are respectful of males and females, and where there's fair pay for females and and males, and because there's a big wage gap in 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 that area. Um, all, all of this flows from, you know, we are made in the image of God to represent God to the world and to creation as we rule over it and seek to serve it um, in the same way that Jesus did. So, um, and so our, our being male and female is intimately related to that. So um, both in the work of production, if you like, and reproduction. So we, we need to work together to develop workplaces that um, have those kinds of relational cultures and that will also be uh, friendly towards other key relationships that people have, like their families, friendships, etc. So uh, I think that's, that's a particular thing that I, I think Christians have a pretty good idea about relationships and we re- rehearse what kingdom-like relationships are meant to be like all the time, Sunday by Sunday in small groups, and I think that can carry over into our workplaces. So we don't feel like we're just going to work as an isolated individual, but that we're being um, prayed for and supported and given models of how to actually do that.
um, as as Christians. Interestingly, as Christians, uh, let's go a little bit deeper here. And you mentioned a couple of things a little earlier. Uh, let's set aside for a moment uh, different uh, different approaches uh, to work that might be Catholic versus Protestant. Uh, you mentioned something uh, earlier called a Catholic social policy. Uh, the interesting thing here is might be in the formation of trade unionism in Australia where uh, that would have been uh, a Catholic foundation to that because in that sort of Catholic thinking there is very much uh, even a combative sense of demanding the rights and protections and safety and fairness for the workers and uh, and there is a sense in which that has had a, a wonderful Christian foundation. Now there's some things might have gone astray there uh, but when we talk about guardians of the workplace this is very much a Christian pursuit, isn't it? Absolutely, and I, I think for um, for that Catholic social thinking, it's uh, often um, about uh, not only security but the dignity of the worker. As they, they often use that term about dignity, and um, and it's interesting in some of the recent research. I was listening to a TED talk about um, artificial intelligence. And the surveys that they did about about it, um, yes, security was kind of the bottom line, but dignity was incredibly important for people. Uh, the people are human beings; they are persons, and they um, there are there are rights that go with being a person. Now, other people's rights have got to be respected as well, and um, and those of employers too. So it's how do you develop a a, a, a mutuality? Between employers, employees, etc., so that um, those things can be negotiated. I think that's that's a critical aspect of of that. I think there are also um, not only the Catholics and John Paul II was was a big one for this. He he, he wrote um, something called On Human Labour in 1981, and uh, really it was it was John Paul II and Lech Walesa and the um, the Polish trade unions. And their their nonviolent protests, etc., that helped bring the Soviet Union down. Yeah, some so significant, an, um, enormous um, difference in the you know through the eighties, etc., um, in that very difficult kind of totalitarian context that was there. But we also see it in in Protestant circles, like the Methodists. The, the Methodists, um, particularly Wesley, had preached to, and the coal miners, and they have sort of pictures of them with. Um, tears um, kind of flowing down their blackened faces from the coal dust and these people have been converted but then they went on and they were in small groups and that, that was the, the wonderful thing about Wesley he would he'd say I, don't, I will not create children for the devil he would basically provide spiritual supports in small groups and people would learn skills that later led to that, them being union leaders and some of that actually flowed into the British Labour Party um, someone called Keir Hardy, who was um, one of Kevin Rudd's um, uh, heroes, and he was one of the founders of the, of the British um, Labour Party. He was a very, very strong Christian. And so there's, um, I, I think what's happened in a lot of politics these days, often these, um, and, and in some of the union movement too, people have forgotten about the Christian roots of a lot of that. 
As I say, uh, with a federal election on the way and timeliness for a conversation like this before we've heard much posturing on industrial relations policies, uh, to have a Christian view of those things is an important way of just making sense of how those things are in fact going to be presented uh, from various sides of the political divide in the lead up to the election. Look, we're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Bev, who's calling from Brisbane. Hello, Bev. Welcome along. Uh, hello, Neil. Thank you for taking my call. Um, just listening to this gentleman speaking, and um, nothing new under the sun, but in my lifetime, I saw a big change in our society when the rights of the child came in and so the rights of the people and I was always brought up with responsibilities and there's a big change when we changed responsibilities into rights and I feel that's been a a terrible downturn in our whole nation over all areas of life. Bev, an important point. response from Dr Gordon Priest. Thanks, Bev. Yeah, I think... um there, there has developed a kind of one-sidedness in, in terms of that, particularly with, if you like, a fairly individualistic view of, of, of rights. Um, in, the, in the best versions, they do talk about rights and responsibilities. And the, the UN um, Declaration of International Human Rights, it, um, or the Universal Declaration in 1948, that was developed in reaction to the, the Nazis and, um, and their, you know, attempted eradication of the Jews and um, it was much of the backing for that and the foundational thinking for that came from Christians and uh, and, and Jews and others and there was a, a real kind of religious base for a lot of it. I, I suspect as the religious influence has weakened in our society we've tended to go more for um, a more, individual, more individualistic view of rights that um, isn't kind of held together by the binding kind of factor between people of uh, a religious basis of, of human dignity made in the image of God. That's the thing that's that's fundamental, and that that will go for children as well as as well as parents. So so when Paul talks about parents raising um, their their kids and that in um, Ephesians six, he talks in in all of those male and female relationships then. Um, uh, then in, in uh, worker and boss relationships, and then in parental and children relationships, he stresses how children would obey their parents, but parents are not to exasperate their children, and uh, parents are to teach them so that they can live long in the land. And so there's a there's a very much a mutual kind of approach um, um, that, that Paul has there, and it's all part of kind of mutual submission one to one to another, which isn't a popular word these days, but um, it's Bev, an important one. Bev from Brisbane, thank you so much for a great input there and reminding us it's not just about rights but also responsibilities. Those two go hand in hand. Let's take another call. Alexander is on the line from Healesville in Victoria. Hello, Alexander. Welcome. Good morning and thanks very much. I'd like to say up front that I am a Christian, but the main concern I have is that it all, basically, whatever is discussed, all the companies now, we are really run by greed. Everything is about money, the companies, what I can save, what I can get. And with all due respect, I'm not sure our government, 
our unions, everyone, the employers and even the employees. And the only way I can really sum it up at the moment, I'm sad to say we are losing our moral compass in every regard. And that's not only in Australia. I think that is probably, probably worldwide. But the sad part is it is all money driven. And I'm not sure what the answer is to that, whether we can change Alexander to give all these things or take all these things from each other. And I'm sad to say, I, 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 as I said, I'm a Christian. I should be optimistic, but I'm not sure where all of this is going at the moment. You are reflecting where society is at. I'm reminded of the Bible scripture where Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. And, of course, that word greed coming into our conversation right now, an important time for that. Uh, your thoughts for Alexander Gordon Priest. Thanks, Alexander. Um, yeah, well, certainly the, the uh, Royal Commission into the Financial Services and the, and the banks um, showed up um, yeah, the problems of greed. And I, I think what we have to um, look at is, uh, yes, we, 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 have a huge, we have a huge problem of people really you know, focusing uh, on that and just um, profit only. Profit, profit is okay in proportion, as, um, but it's it's like breathing. You breathe to live. Um, you don't you don't live to breathe. So companies need to make profit um, at a certain level to be able to survive or thrive. But the um, the the problem is profit's been treated as the as the, the end. It's as life in itself and and a kind of master story um, for everything else in life and. That in the end, if you have the wrong story, you end up um, undercutting your character, not only of individuals, but also the character of an organisation. So I want to very quickly tell the story of, say, the AMP Society, where um, I actually have my super. And AMP started off um, in the um, mid-1850s as a strongly Christian organisation. And in fact, there's still quite a lot of Christians in that organisation. And um, a number of people had strong um, links to the Congregationalist Church. And that model of congregational government was very much used in the development of the AMP and insurance. And their first salesman was a strong evangelical Christian called Benjamin Short. And he would go around and, and they were almost like evangelistic rallies. And he'd, he'd shame men into getting insurance policies to provide for their wives and their children if they, if they died, um, often in, in dangerous workplaces, and that they needed to provide for them. And then, then they set up Sydney, he set up Sydney City Mission, for instance. So there was, there was a strong uh, Christian motivation there. When, however, the, um, they stopped being a mutual, you know, mutual organisations, basically take responsibility for each other's needs, and the problem was they couldn't raise enough money um, in terms of the privatisation of the financial markets. And this happened around the 90s or so. And since then, we've seen huge problems with the AMP, which have come out in the Royal Commission, for instance. And, um, but there's a, as a note of hope, there is a, there's a Christian um, gentleman, his name is Greg Hammond, who I know, and um, he um, was asked by the government to have an inquiry into mutuals and how they could raise more money and more capital and grow 
while still being mutuals and having mutual responsibility of the members built in to the way they operated. And um, I'm not sure, you know, how that's developed or how many people have taken that up, but I think it shows that there are still Christians working away at trying to reform the system and, um, and try and make it better and change the culture. Thank you so much to Alexander from Healesville. Uh, there's still maybe time for another call or two. One eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Just to uh, just to call uh, this mutual responsibility into question here, uh, in relation to the fact that as Alexander was sharing, Gordon, uh, greed is an issue. And uh, just as your response there, coming to Alexander's comments, uh, the idea of business ethics: uh, you can have greed on the side of the employer, but you can also have greed on the side of the employee. Perhaps it's that greed that creates the tension over these sorts of issues. If we're developing a biblical-founded Christian set of business business ethics, uh, depending on where you sit as an employer or an employee, uh, you've got to take notice of some of these really foundational teachings that come from Jesus. What are your thoughts on, on adjusting along the way where you sit on a spectrum of how you might be actually uh, implementing your business ethics. Right, well, um, yeah, um, good points and good questions. I think there's, there's two extremes in some ways in terms of work and workplace relations. One, one might be those who are kind of um, just want to be idle, and then there's the others who turn work into, into an idol, um, something that they worship. And uh, somewhere in a sort of radical middle is uh, is a Christian position that says, obviously, that to have at least one in seven days off for Sabbath and uh, and and also for for public worship, and um, that that I think um, takes a more moderate kind of approach to the accrual of of of, of wealth, and um, there are there are virtues like contentment that are involved in that. The trouble is we have such a hyper kind of economy and hyper advertising, etc. that, um, and we talk about 24-7 work, that people are just being um, manipulated and uh, are often making foolish decisions and sometimes falling for people who offer them big bucks or big returns and, um, and you need to ask wise questions about is this too good to be true? when some financial advisor might be saying, you know, well, have I got something fantastic for you? And then you find out, well, what they're trying to... When most people really want security for their old age, what was happening with a lot of financial advisors, they were trying to um, get people onto the more risky investments because they would, they would get bitter, um, bigger bonuses. And, and, and they were selling the bank's own products. They weren't giving objective advice. So... We've, we've got to work out better systems of reward that um, safeguard against those sorts of things. We've got to have better regulation and uh, a system of checks and balances. So, so Christians, for all our human dignity, we also recognise that people uh, are domineering and, um, and greedy. And so we need to have, have systems that take seriously the fallenness of, of individuals and of structures. This is the world we live in, and it is governed by all of these different factors. As you're indicating, Gordon Priest, we are coming to the end of our conversation. I wonder whether uh, is there any particular uh, 
way or uh, is there any sort of particular search term you might type into Google where you can actually, uh, you know, just enlarge your understanding on these sorts of issues we're talking about today, the changing economy uh, towards a gig economy and uh, this idea of precarious work, uh, Christian views on that. I wonder whether uh, is there uh, is there somewhere you point people or is are there some articles on the Ethos website? Where would people go to get some more really good information about understanding these things? Yes, you could get some at www.ethos.org.au. Um, the Theology of Work, so theologyofwork.org has a huge range of, uh, array of um, various articles and biblical commentary on workplace issues, and it's all, all available for free. So that's, that's another one. Um, uh, RASP, um, which is my other organization, um, the University of Divinity, is uh, www.center, uh, uh, C-E-N-T-R-E, RASP, R-A-S-P, dot A-U. Um, and uh, we have some material on there as as well. So there, there are a few um, to, yeah, as, as starters. Well, great insights today, and thank you so much for sharing your really deeper thoughts about just where we're all at in this changing economy. And I will point people to those two websites that you mentioned. And uh, just in case you were clamouring for a pen to write those down, Centre rasp.org.au c-e-n-t-r-e r-a-s-p r-a-s-p stands for religion and social policy centerrasp.org.au also ethos.org.au and uh, you'll be able to do some search terms in there talking about theology of work and uh, that's not as complicated or I guess it could be as simple or as complicated as you want to make it, depending on the level that you look at, the way that we look at godliness in the workplace, whether you're the boss or whether you're the employee in this changing economy that we're in, very, very necessary to understand so that you can negotiate your way forward and actually implement those Christian foundations for our faith uh, so that we can uh, simply serve God to the best of our capacity and to see the community around us uh, be influenced by the way that we implement those wonderful foundational wisdom and principles that come from God's Word. Uh, just a wonderful opportunity once again to be talking to you, uh, the Reverend Dr. Gordon Priest. And uh, Gordon, appreciate the chat and uh, look forward to doing this again another day. Likewise, Neil. Thanks very much. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.